0: I do want you to know that our altars are always open. When I say that, what I mean is this. If there is ever a time you need to pray, whether it is during the song service, during prayer time, during the sermon, you make your way down, sometimes sometimes we'll stop and pray with you if that seems to be the direction the Lord is leading. Sometimes we'll let you pray. Some of my most powerful prayers happened one uh, meeting that I was in when God took me to the altar at the beginning of the sermon and I stayed there at the altar through the whole sermon by myself praying and the Lord spoke and I'd pray about something and he'd answer and I'd pray about something and he'd answer and I'd pray about and it was just followed the whole sermon. Tremendous blessing to have a Lord that cares for us like that but I just wanted to let you know that. Is that good enough? All right, see this thing on the screen? It may be a little hard to see. I'm going to read it to you. It said, everything happens for a reason. You believe that? Anybody think it's an accident that you're at church this morning? Anybody think it's an accident that you are at this church at this moment? Does anybody think that you made the decisions to get you here? I mean, you had a choice in it, obviously, but God orchestrated your life so that you were here for this moment. Everything happens for a reason. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. This is from the message. I love the way it reads. It's kind of good. People ruin their lives by their own stupidity. and That's scripture from the message. People ruin their lives by their own stupidity, so why does God get blamed? You ever watch somebody just run rampant, roughshod over everything in life, and then they get to a place in their life where things fall apart and they're like, I can't believe God did this to me. Right? Y'all have seen that happen. Maybe you're, you've you done it. I have. And then God makes it clear that He didn't get me there in the first place. He allowed me to go so that I would learn and so that I would turn to Him. Did you know that there's only one goal that I have for my children? Only one thing I ask. The primary central focus that I ask God for them is this whatever it takes to get them to heaven, that's what I want you to do in their lives. And that could be just about anything you can imagine. You know, it, it could be the loss of a job, it could be success at another job, it could be a change of location. I mean, my oldest daughter just moved to New York. Her husband is the director of cardiology at this big hospital up there. And they prayed for three years, almost four years. They've been praying for a different job, a specific job. And God closed every door. And I believed that this was God's open door in order to get them to a place. And I told God all along the way, if some of these places would raise a trap that would destroy their relationship with you, that would keep them from getting to heaven, don't let them go. One thing I ask, that my family makes it to heaven. That's that's my primary prayer. As I'm praying for my family, I pray for the needs that they give me. I pray for the things that they're telling me. Hey, Dad, pray for this for me. Pray for this. I pray for them. And I pray seriously for them. But guess what? I always come back to this. But Lord, if you see something better, or you think this is going to prevent them from making it to heaven, you do what it takes to get them to heaven. That's what I want. Anything that he can block in the road to keep them from making a wrong turn, anything he can put in the road to take them back and turn them around in the right direction, that's what I want, because I want my family making it to heaven. And then he says in Proverbs 23, 7, As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's talking about me and you. As we think in our heart, so are we. If we think negative thoughts, what happens to our actions? Yeah. If we're always down on ourselves, if we're always in a state of hopelessness, if we're always in a state of fear, if we're always in a state of reservation, what happens generally to the life around us? It's kind of yucky. I don't want to live in a life like that. So, what is in my heart ends up coming out. You remember what Jesus told the Pharisees who were constantly washing their hands? And he was like, Don't worry about your hands, wash your hearts. That's what you need to watch, because from inside a man, really, the the stench cometh, the the smell cometh, the the filth cometh. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. All right, that's enough meddling. Let's get to the sermon. I did, that was while I was looking at, at this sermon, I found that scripture and it just stood out to me. I thought I needed to share it with you this morning. I want to read to you from Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 through 9 this morning. Proverbs 16, 1 through 9, I'm going to read it from the NIV, but the same message is there from all the versions that you will read. If you don't have a Bible, you want to follow me on the screen, you can. If you want to uh, take one of the pew Bibles in front of you, you will be able to follow along in there as well. Here's the summation of verse 9, and before I get to, uh, to dealing with it in depth, let me tell you there are nine verses... And each one of them is a parable or a proverb that stands on its own. And yet when you put all nine of them together, there is a central thought, a central theme that I want us to take with our, our lives this week, this morning as we leave and apply them throughout the week. The synopsis of chapter 16 is this, the heart of man plans his way. But the Lord establishes his step. My son got out of the Navy, and uh, long story short, he was released on a medical release. He had gotten in there. His mom got cancer. He was having migraine headaches. They couldn't stop it. He couldn't stop it. So at the end of his basic training, they released him, and he came back home. And his, his brain was confused. He was wondering, why have the things that I've tried to do, why have they been stopped? Why have I been thwarted at every side? So he was like, why is everything I'm doing, why is it all being thwarted? Why am I being held back? And through his own investigation, through his own thought, He came back to me and he said, uh, dad, I'm getting a tattoo. I'm like, okay. You're an adult. You've gone to serve your country. You, you went to sign up for it. You didn't do it. It's your money. It's your body. I don't necessarily embrace the idea of a tattoo, but if that's what you want to do, I'm not going to stop you. And he said, you want to know what I'm getting? I said, well, I'm scared to ask. He said, I'm getting a scripture verse in Hebrew on my back. I said, what scripture verse? Proverbs 16 9. And I said, tell me why. Why that one? He said, because I had a lot of plans. I had a lot of things that I wanted to do and I had it worked out. I had it headed in the way I thought I was supposed to go and it didn't go that way. And I've come to the conclusion that while I may be able to choose my path, God is the one that orders or establishes my step. I thought of all the reasons he could give me and of all of the tattoos he could get, that's one that I could probably embrace better than any of the rest of them out there on the market. So let's start Proverbs chapter 16 with verse 1. I was going to do that and then I changed this just at the last minute because I think you need to understand why these Proverbs are there. What is the value of this that we're about to study from Isaiah chapter 55, we find these, this uh, this passage of Scripture. There are four verses here, uh, 6, 7, eight, and 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. Let them turn to our God. That's the thought there. For he will freely pardon. Now, the next two verses are really what I want you to look at. This is what I want you to focus on. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, uh, how high are the heavens? I don't know. I'm not sure. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth. And none of you have been able to tell me how high they are. But nobody's yet been able to measure where the heavens end. Did you know in in science, there's basically a bubble that is the limit of what we can observe. Right? We, we actually look out into space and we've never yet seen the end of it. We know that we're seeing as far as we can see. We're measuring as far as we can measure. And yet we know there's more stuff going out, on, out, out there because the universe seems to be moving in those directions. It seems to be expanding. It seems to be separating, getting bigger, and yet we can't tell what's beyond. There is a limit to what we can see, even when we think of our universe. So, here then becomes the question. If we compare our thoughts to God's thoughts and we find that His ways are higher than the heavens are from the earth, and we can't even see the end of the heavens, how in the world are we trying to compete with God's logic? Have you ever thought about that? Did you know that most people live life as if God's will is a subset of their will? For those of you that aren't mathematicians, a subset means that it fits within. So most people live as if God's will fits within their will. Right? So that's like saying that the universe fits inside of Virginia Beach Church. Not possible. Now, is Virginia Beach Church in this universe? Well, yeah. It's one of those little spaces. Just like my hometown of Paris, Kentucky. It's a little spot inside the universe. But the universe does not fit, nor can it, inside of the small area that is whatever we decree or decry is ours so let's move to this first verse understanding that God's ways are bigger and that our ways are smaller that our ways are inside of his ways let let me look at this let's let's look at this see this write your plans in pencil and give God the eraser did you know that God does not mind you making plans Seriously. God does not mind you making plans. As a matter of fact, He enjoys it when you plan considering Him. But when we plan and try to do it on our own, we get in trouble. Let's look at verse 1. To humans belong the plans of the heart. Our hearts think of things. They dream of things. They hope for things. How many of you can think back to when you first, as a teenager, you first fell in love? How many of you can think of what you started to think that your life would be like? You remember some of those thoughts that you had? How many kids you would have? Where you would live, what kind of car you would drive. They had those little, and in my day, this goes back quite a few years, they had those little, uh, little pieces of paper that you could, wah, 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 Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Everybody's looking there, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I see that. Yeah. So anyway, you, you do that and you get done, red, green, and you open it up. You go, oh, you're going to live in a million-dollar mansion in the middle of Beverly Hills. Because you know why? Because we dream. And God never asks us to stop dreaming. As a matter of fact, he encourages us to dream. But he encourages us to dream with his reality. The dream that we are supposed to dream is a dream that includes him. So the little wah, 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 open it up in service to God in a mansion in Beverly Hills. See, that's okay. As long as we give him the eraser... To change our plans. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord... Did you know this Lord, the name Lord here, means is the name for Jehovah, which is the proper name of God? It's often replaced by Adonai in the Scripture, which is interpreted Lord, but it literally was the name that God told Moses when he got to the burning bush. I am this is the I am God and the I am God says from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue what's that mean it means that we as human beings make preparation for our life We arrange this to happen this way, we arrange this to happen this way, we arrange this to happen this way, and then somebody does something or says something, and we respond. And if we're not careful, from our plans comes the wrong answer from the tongue. But he says that the right answer from the tongue, the proper answer of the tongue comes from the Lord. I got a phone call this week. Well, actually, I I was fortunate enough to be uh, given advance notice that it was coming. Uh, Our neighbor back here on the backside, four houses down, is an Italian from Brooklyn. And he was getting irritated. I didn't know he was irritated. I don't guess anybody else knew he was irritated. But something bothered him to the point that he came over here. And he met Tony. Now, here's the beauty of this. Tony is an Italian from Brooklyn. So these two Italian Catholic boys from Brooklyn got an opportunity to talk and he told Tony how he felt about the fact that the side of our building was in pretty bad shape from a painted perspective. And he began to tell Tony that he had just just about had all he could take of looking at his backyard and at our unpainted facade. And and that he was frustrated because we painted between the buildings, but he doesn't get up and see between the buildings. When he gets up in the morning, he sees the back of the building and it looks bad to him. Now he's from Brooklyn, so he may have put it a little different than that. But see, Tony was from Brooklyn and Tony understood it. So Tony told me this guy was pretty upset. I said, well, thank you, Tony. I'll take care of it. And I thought I would wait until the first of this week to go see him, but Tony had given him my phone number and just so happened Saturday morning he calls me. And he told me who it was and I said, well, hello there. I heard you stop by the school a couple days ago. Yes, sir. And he said, there's no delicate way to put this. This is blah, blah, blah. You know, he just kind of spit it out there. I was so glad, first of all, that I had Jesus in my heart. Right? Second of all, I was glad to have forewarning because sometimes i don't respond always as kindly as I responded then kind of reminds me of your Sunday school class that I was able to let God do a little gentleness and a meekness and a you know work on me in that way. long story short, I told him that we're working on it. I mean we really are our, our board is is making decisions even as we speak to address that and and we've got a young man who who is not employed at this time, but he is a painter by trade. And, and the board, the last I've heard, I haven't heard the final response from them, but from the last I've heard, the board is a, pretty much ready to pay this guy this this money per hour in order to paint this so that it will get to looking nice. And when we finished the conversation, he was calm. He said, that's the answer I was hoping I'd get. And And, and you know, he said some things that we're not quite as kind. Like, you know, I'd hate to have to go down to the city hall and I'd hate to have to complain about you all leaving. And, you know, but, and you know, you just leave that stuff alone and you work, work on. But what I'm saying is to humans, the plans of the heart, that we make them. You know what? This, this paint on this building has been bothering me for three years. It's just that I haven't had the funds to pay for it, nor have I had the resources or the people to do it with right yet. And so it's been a process to get there. So I know how he feels. Even though the plans of the heart are one way, what really makes the impact on somebody's life is the proper answer of the tongue. Let's go to the second verse. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Did you know that most arguments that we have are about this person thinking I'm right and this person think I'm right. It's true. This person said, no, I'm right. And the other person like, no, I'm right. And the truth of the matter is in their minds they think they're right. That's what what he's saying here. That's what Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, is saying about men. All a person's ways seem to be pure, right, by them. But the truth of the matter is, motives are weighed by the I am, Jehovah. I was raised in what I will refer to as the conservative holiness movement and in the conservative holiness movement there are a lot of preach there's a lot of preaching on heels hose and television there are um many preachers who preach on jewelry and short sleeve shirts and women with their hair up and men with their hair cut and no mustaches or beards and and i mean all these little things and stuff that you have to do and, and the people when you look at them from all appearances Everybody is holy. By that I mean they are set apart. They're different. And by every stretch of the imagination, when you evaluate them with the uh, binoculars of passing sight, it looks to be that they're pure. But you know what? God doesn't judge whether our sleeves are here or here. God doesn't judge if we have a mustache or a goatee or both. God doesn't judge if we have hair on top of our head or hair on our back. What God judges is the heart. All motives are weighed by the Lord. You know, some people do things... In order to get a thank you. Some people do things in order to get recognition. Some people do things in order to get seen. But what God wants us to do is to do something in order that God may receive the glory. So when we do something, we may think our way is pure, but God always knows what the heart is. Let's move on to number three. I'm running slow this morning. I'm going to move faster. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. Huh? I think if it stopped there, we'd be okay. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. Whatever you do, give it to the Lord. Doesn't matter what it's doing. Andre, you can go put a sign up. Do it for the Lord. Give it to the Lord. You're going to go cook. Do it for the Lord. You're going to go to school? Do it for the Lord. You're going to go teach? Do it for the Lord. You see, all of our lives, it doesn't matter what we're doing, we're to do it for the Lord. And He gives us this promise. If we commit those things to the Lord, He will establish our path. Do you know what establish means? It indicates that something is not easily changed. It's unshakable. It's firmly planted. It is deeply rooted. It has a firm foundation. So when he talks about our path or our plans being established by God, he's saying I will make your plans stand. If you'll commit the stuff that you do to me. I like that. I like it because it gives me promise for the things even that I'm doing here with you at VB1. That what we do is not going to just be one of those vientos fluctuantes. Winds that sway. But rather it's going to be firm. Established. Let's go to the next one. The Lord works out everything to its proper end. Uh, 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 uh. Even the wicked for disaster. Now most of us like to look at that, say the Lord works out everything to his end, and we like to go back to that passage. For I know that all things work together for good to those that are called according to his purpose. But there's another side to that. That if I am wicked, if I am rebellious, if I am against God, if I'm pushing back against Him, that He will work out its final purpose even for the wicked. The disaster of the wicked. The destruction of the wicked. He will work it out. I I wish I could show you The way God does this. Imagine with me. Taking a great big cube. Alright. For lack of a better word. This big cube. It's got side here. Sides here. Sides here. Side on the bottom. So there's six sides to a cube. And let's just think of it as exactly as long as it is deep. And let's say we could take that cube and fold it up and get it down to just. Just a little teeny thing. Right? And let's say I could take a needle. And I'd poke it in one side. And pull it out the other. And then we open it back up. And the thread goes wherever I put the needle. The thread goes wherever it is. Now let's say this cube is like a Rubik's Cube. You know the Rubik's Cube? You you twist this side. You twist that side. Let's just say that... You started life right there. God knew where you were starting. And He knew where you were ending. And so we poke the needle in where you start. We poke the needle in where you end. We open that cube back up and we say to you, Go to town. Try to figure out this Rubik's Cube. And we start twisting and we start turning and we start spinning. And when we get done... The, the entry hole is on top, and the exit hole is on the left-hand side. Right? And the cube doesn't make any sense. And somewhere down in the middle, that line has gone down through and turned in order to get out where it's going. But the reality is, before you started, God knew where you were entering and God knew where you were exiting. And all that stuff that you've done to make these turns and twists and things, God's like, I know where you started, I know where you're ending, I know every turn you're going to make, it's still going to end up exactly like I planned. That doesn't mean we don't have a choice. I think God gives us all kinds of choices every day. I think He lets us manipulate and use our life and manipulate it to how we would like to see it done. But I think when we don't consider Him, He works out everything to its final end, including the disaster of those who refuse to acknowledge Him. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Proud of heart just simply means this my way, other than God's way. My way over everybody else's way. Not submitted, not in deference to, but rather in my heart, I'm going to do this the way that I want to do it. Hmm. They will not go unpunished. Through love, And faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Why didn't you do that? Well, for one, I knew my dad would knock my head off. Right? The other side of that is because I knew that I feared what God could ultimately do in my life. Not from a negative perspective so much that God has intention to destroy me, but rather I feared God's pleasure. I desired to have Him look upon me with pleasure rather than to look upon me in criticism. But through love and through faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Jesus proved it to us, didn't He? He came and gave His life. He was faithful to his role with the Father and our sin was atoned for. But I think it goes further than that. I think it tells us that all of the sin that we have committed, if we will commit our lives to love and faithfulness to God, all of those things. Jesus said, love covers a multitude of sin. Let's move on. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, He causes their enemy to make peace with Him. There was a guy... Who was in competition with Abraham Lincoln. Stanton. For some reason. I cannot think of the exact name. But I think it was Stanton. Anyway. This guy was in competition with Lincoln. He called Lincoln a gorilla. He called him an ape. He called him a fool. He called him all kinds of stuff. And when Abraham Lincoln. Was elected president of the United States. Do you know what Lincoln did? He appointed him to the war cabinet. And when Abraham Lincoln died, this man who had ridiculed and mocked and defiled and dishonored Lincoln said he was the greatest leader I have ever known. When the Lord takes pleasure in our way, he causes our enemies to make peace with us. Better is little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. I'd rather be poor and happy than I would be to be rich and at odds with everyone and everything around me. And here's the final verse. In their hearts, humans... Plan their course. But the Lord establishes their steps. There is something about our lives that we like to control. Some of us are long term planners. I mean, we have things planned out for three years in advance. We know where we're going to dinner on Wednesday night. Or we know what we have bought at the store to eat at the dinner on Wednesday night. Some of us get to 5.30 on Wednesday night and go, what's for supper? I don't know. What do you want? Pizza? Sounds good to me. Some of us aren't that long distance planners But all of us like to be in control. None of us likes to have somebody else constantly micromanaging our life. But here's what the Lord said. In our hearts, we make our plans. But there's no way that they are going to be successful unless we consider the master and allow him to establish, one more time, firmly our steps. No plan is complete until he is consulted. Truth of the matter is, you should probably start off your plan by consulting him. Have you ever done something as a Christian? Have you ever done something... That you wanted to do and you really, really wanted to do it. And you're like, I'm going to do this. And you went and did it and you didn't consult God. And when you got done, you're like, oh my goodness. Now I'm paying for it. Four years later. And I hated what I did and I hated what I got. I just thought I wanted that. Because we didn't include God in our plans. And yet, some of the things that we would say, uh-uh, I'm never going to do that. Be careful, by the way. Never say never to God. But things that we may say in our own plans, I would never do that. God says, guess what I want you to do. And you're like, okay. And we go do it, and suddenly we're having a blast. We're, we're, We're enjoying life. We're experiencing things that we've never experienced because it is the Lord who establishes our steps. Let me take you to some final closing thoughts from James chapter 4, verses 13 and 15. Now listen, you who say, uh, today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or well, we'll spend a year there and we'll carry on business over here and we'll make money. Why do you not even know, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? Why, why are you making those plans to that extent? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then you vanish. Poof! Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live. To do this or that, remember, write your plans in pencil. Back in my house, again, I told you I'm a southern talking hillbilly from the state of Kentucky. Who wears belts with my name on them and rides Harley Davidson motorcycles. And I remember sitting growing up in my home, and we'd say, "Mama, are we going to the park tomorrow?" And she'd say, "If the Lord's a willing in the creek, don't ride. Gonna go home where happiness lies." And then she changed the words. Where winds of sorrow never rise. If the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise. And I, I heard that all my life. And you know what happened? She trained me so well. That when I got married. And my kids came to me and said. Daddy are we going to go to the zoo tomorrow? If the Lord's a willing and the creek don't rise. You see. What he's saying to us here is that our plans are never our own if we are owned by God. Write your plans down. It's okay. Just give God the eraser. Write it in pencil and give him the eraser. And you know why? Because God's plans are bigger than ours. Higher than the heavens above ours. And he knows the plans he has for us, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. plan to give you a hope and a future, Jeremiah twenty You've heard it many, many times throughout your life. You need to know this. This last one thing. Make your plans. But don't set them in concrete until you consider how they fit into God's divine purpose.